0: Good morning. I'm Max Cohen, a congressional reporter at Punchbowl News. I've been filling in for Anna and Jake this week. Welcome to the Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It's Friday, July 14th, 2023. Let's get into the mix. Here are your top Washington headlines of the day. Number one House Republicans turn NDAA into cultural war bonanza. Speaker Kevin McCarthy and House GOP leaders are moving into uncharted territory. McCarthy has thrown in with the House Freedom Caucus and other hardline conservatives, turning the normally bipartisan annual defense authorization bill into a culture war battlefield. This is expected to be the same template McCarthy will use on the upcoming fiscal year 2024 spending bills, even as a threat of government shutdown looms in October. McCarthy faces what's expected to be a close vote today, on final passage of the NDAA package, although the GOP majority will very likely muscle through the 1,200-plus-page bill on a largely party-line vote. The House still has to consider a number of amendments on China, COVID-19, and Afghanistan before final passage. Some of those amendments could be adopted by voice vote. But enough Democratic frontliners and moderates are expected to support the $886 billion measure to help ensure its approval. Democratic lawmakers and aides predict that anywhere between 5 to 10 Democrats may cross the aisle to vote with House Republicans. At the end of the day, this is a tough vote for some vulnerable Democrats, a senior Democratic aide said to us, pointing to the 5.2% pay hike for service members, increased housing allowances, and hundreds of millions of dollars for quality of life improvements included in the underlying legislation. There also may be one to two Democrats who missed the vote, which will help bolster the GOP margin. McCarthy and GOP leadership could lose some Republicans as well, however, especially conservatives who saw their proposed amendments fail. GOP leadership aides privately say they're watching Representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Andy Biggs, and Ken Buck, among others. The approval of Representative Ronnie Jackson's Republican of Texas amendment Thursday prohibiting the Defense Department from covering travel expenses related to abortion care for service members has become the pivotal moment in the NDAA debate. Abortion, of course, is a growing controversy for the Pentagon, as Senator Tommy Tuberville, Republican of Alabama, continues to block dozens of military promotions until DOD rescinds the policy. The addition of the Jackson provision caused Democrats to turn against the underlying NDAA bill, which had passed the Armed Services Committee by a 58-to-1 margin just weeks ago. Republicans have also pushed through a number of conservative amendments targeting Pentagon funding for diversity, equity, inclusion, and LGBTQ programs. Representatives Matt Rosendale and Ralph Norman were successful in adding language barring DOD funding of transgender-related medical services. There have been some Democratic victories, however. Green's effort to block the Pentagon from providing cluster munitions to Ukraine was defeated. MPG and Gates were also shut down on other Ukraine-related amendment votes. And Representative Bob Good's proposal to allow military facilities to keep the names of prominent Confederate figures was rejected too. But adding the GOP's poison pills, provisions on abortion, DEI, and transgender medical care to the NDA will make it harder for McCarthy and top Republicans to cut a deal with Senate Dems and the White House. House Republicans, of course, counter that shifting the bill dramatically rightward will give them room to maneuver in the upcoming talks, similar to what happened on the debt limit shutdown. McCarthy and President Joe Biden eventually reached a compromise on that issue that won broad bipartisan support after the Speaker first pushed through a hardline House GOP bill. Yet, following Thursday night's votes, the House's three top Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries, Kathleen Clark, and Pete Aguilar, issued a blistering statement outlining their opposition to the revised NDA bill. Quote House Republicans have turned what should be a meaningful investment in our men and women in uniform into an extreme and reckless legislative joyride number two facing brutal map senate dems Reel in the cash the 2024 picture doesn't look too rosy for senate democrats who currently enjoy a slim 51 to 49 seat majority the dscc is tasked with defending incumbents in solid red montana ohio and west virginia in addition to the battleground states of nevada Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And then there's the uncertainty rating in Arizona. But one bright spot for Democrats is that their incumbents are raising money at a record rate. In a wide range of key seats, Senate Dems up for re-election the cycle are breaking new ground in their fundraising totals. Friends of Sherrod Brown, Sherrod Brown's campaign account, raised $5 million in the second quarter, an off-year Q2 record in an Ohio Senate race. Senator John Tester-affiliated group also raised $5 million in Q2, the most ever raised in an off-year Q2 in a Montana Santa campaign. Senator Bob Casey raised more than $4 million last quarter, the most Casey's ever raised in a single quarter. Tammy Baldwin raised more than $3.2 million in Q2, the record for an off-year quarter in a Wisconsin Senate race. Representative Ruben Gallego, Announced a haul of $3.1 million in Q2, while Senator Kirsten Cinema hasn't said if she's running again, and she also has not reported Q2 figures. Over in Michigan, Alyssa Slocken, the frontrunner for the Democratic nomination, raised $2.8 million in quarter two, and her campaign says her first half of the year haul, over $5.8 million in total, is the most any Michigan Senate campaign has raised in the first two quarters. Senator Jackie Rosen, brought in 2.7 million dollars in the second quarter and her 7.5 million dollar cash on hand is a state record at this point in the Senate race and to round it out Senator Joe Manchin who still hasn't announced whether he's running for re-election raised nearly 1.3 million dollars in quarter two the fundraising strength from Senate Democrats carries on from last cycle where Senators Raphael Warnock and Mark Kelly consistently broke records in their high-profile races TSEC Chair Gary Peters greeted the fundraising numbers as evidence that Democratic incumbents enjoy, quote, strong support. But of course, fundraising is far from anything in competitive Senate races. Just ask Amy McGrath and Sarah Gideon, two recent examples of Democratic fundraising juggernauts who fell short of winning their races. But Peters told us that raising big money early in the cycle means their candidates can communicate, quote, their message early and make sure that you can get out before anyone else can. The NRSC, of course, sees it differently. Communications director Mike Berg told us that while, quote, Democratic candidates have virtually unlimited campaign cash and dark money at their disposal, the problem for them is that they're facing a brutal map and are running alongside an extremely unpopular president. Number three, Andy Barr would like a word about capitalism. Democrats think they can beat back the GOP's crusade against environmental social measures in the financial system with an appeal to free market fundamentals. Representative Andy Barr, Republican of Kentucky, disagrees. We've written a few times this week about the battle over ESG that the Republican-run House Financial Services Committee wants to have across the month of July. We've also covered the Democrats' counteroffensive, which is now turning into a bit of a tug of war over the word capitalism. That brings us to Barr, who chairs the financial services subcommittee covering regulation. Quote, ESG is not capitalism. Barr told us yesterday, quote, that's a lie. It's not even a persuasive argument. For what it's worth, ESG is an acronym for environmental social governance standards. It's the kind of thing some corporations and investment firms have embraced as a way to assess how good for the world a company's activities are. But the Republican opposition to ESG has more to do with the Biden administration than anything else at this point. The SEC has put itself front and center with a nearly 500-page climate disclosure rule for public firms. Barr tells us he's not actually opposed to private companies making individual decisions about climate risk or social benefit. He acknowledged climate change is, quote, a major public policy issue. The Kentucky Republican just thinks, quote, it doesn't belong in the realm of financial regulation. This is not about assessing risk, Barr said. I think it's about putting the government's thumb on the scale and discriminating against energy companies. We pointed out that the oil and gas sector is heavily subsidized in the U.S. Barr responded by arguing that it was in part a consequence of the costs of federal regulation. But the broader problem is that climate change is an issue that investors want to know more about, and the lack of standardization of carbon emissions data is a huge obstacle that. A government agency could, in theory, begin to rectify that with the proper authorities. But that's not a bridge Republicans are about to cross. No matter how dire the problems posed by climate change may be, And no matter how much investment or global action climate scientists ask for, the GOP doesn't think the U.S. government should be front and center of the effort. Quote, at the end of the day, climate change is not going to be solved by governments. Barr told us it's going to be solved by technology, innovation, and investments in energy. Thanks so much for listening. If you like The Daily Punch, and we hope you do, please leave us a review and a rating. Share it on social media. It's the best way for folks to find out about us. You can also sign up for our free morning newsletter at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.